Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. The title of this message today is Branding, and some of you recognize that as a business term. Branding is what we, we all get used to. Uh, matter of fact, uh, branding is something you do every day. Would you rather have, if, you, if money was not a problem, would you rather have a Chevy or a Ferrari? Uh, you, there's, there's something about the brand that is important to us. We, we, we like to buy things that have a good reputation, that have something that is quality about it. We like to have those things. Sometimes we can't afford those things. But I want to explain to you today why Jesus was the one who set the brand for what we, are, we will call Christianity. So let's look at that today. First of all, let's recognize that there are a variety of brands in the world. Uh, you know there's Walmart. That's a brand. I recognize that's a brand of uh, type of store. You know that there's all kinds of brands that are found in Walmart. Not every brand that you find in Walmart is one you want to buy. Some of them you know are worth it, some of them not. Is Christianity worth it? Is what we are believing worth it? I want to show you today why Christianity, or I should say biblical faith in Christ, is beyond price. That there's not a way to set a value on it. Your life is set in that brand. So let's take a look in just for a few minutes. What is the brand of Christianity? Number one, the brand of Christianity is this. Jesus came to present to us this brand. He's the one who came. He took a brand that was already available, one that was already out there that had been tested and tried. And I'm, I'm talking about everything. I'm going to use the, the stages of timeline again. Everything from the beginning of time all the way up to the time of Christ. There was a revelation given to a chosen people. First, 12 chap- first 11 chapters are all about all the people in the world. But starting in chapter 12 and working all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, it's dealing with one people and their relationship to the rest of the world. And that one people and their relationship to God is what that, that chapter starts being about, chapter 12 and on. And from there, God begins to create a trusted brand. That's himself, his covenant, his people, his ways to restore humanity to what it was supposed to be. He gives to us prophets. He gives to us history. He gives to us all sorts of testimony of what he did interacting with people. You can see he is trustworthy in every way. When Israel got down and out, they cried out to him and he delivered them, sometimes in the most miraculous of ways. He is a brand that could be trusted. That brand got cluttered up and abused by the people who used it. They were not the brand. They were the people who were using that brand. Everybody follow what I'm saying? They, they took on all kinds of other brands. They took in all kinds of idols. Solomon was one of the worst to do this. He introduced idolatry into Israel like no one else had. Now, the northern kings always had been in a mess. They, they had uh, idolatry from the get-go. But Solomon introduces it now to the south. And to Judah and Benjamin, they're now engaged in idolatry. And it just kept cluttering up what it was all about. 
when Jesus comes, he comes to create that new brand, that new product, if I can say it that was, that's based on the, the previous one. He is restoring what was the right thing in the previous one that had been abused and cluttered up by people. So if you would, you've got your Bibles of 1 John chapter 4. Why don't you look with me? Let's take a look at what is the brand of Christianity. What is the brand of Christianity? And I hope it doesn't bother you that I'm using uh, some business term to do that. Um, if, it, if it does, then I'll, I'll try to change my terms here somewhere or another. I'll go from brand to brand. Um, listen to what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Stop. Number one, he's trying to say, is it qualified? Is this a genuine brand? Is this an authentic brand? Don't listen to everybody because a lot of people have stories to tell. A lot of people have information they want to bring. A lot of people have interesting philosophies they'd like to share with you. He's just saying this. Wait a minute. Check it. It might not be the brand. It might be a counterfeit. It might be fake. So check it out. Here's what he said, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. So here's how you know if you got the right brand. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The first part of what Christianity is about is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not about the church. The church is his bride. It's about Jesus Christ himself. So when people are looking to find out what's the gospel and they want to look at the organized church and say, I wouldn't join that bunch of hypocrites, where they don't mind being with hypocrites every place else in life, listen, friend, it's not the church. It is Jesus Christ himself. That's the brand. Look at it. Is this thing of God? Is Jesus Christ come in the flesh? That's of God. If it says, if that spirit says Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, listen to it. It might be right. Now, there may be some who will say that. So there's a second part of it we want you to see. Look what he says here in verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So if you've got, if you, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, are you getting that? That means you are inhabited by somebody that's greater than the spirit of the world. That you, you didn't just sign on to a religious belief. You follow where I'm coming from? Our, our faith is not about signing on to a religious uh, doctrine. It is about whether you have been born again or not. It is whether you are inhabited by the spirit of God. And if you have been inhabited by the spirit of God, you are greater. The spirit that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. All right, let me go on further. Verse 5, they are of the world, so they're different. <clears throat> Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. Now, get that picture. In, matter of fact, would you just say that with me right now? We are of God. Say it with me again. We are of God. Why is that important? Because you're not of the world. Don't, don't identify yourself with the world because that's not your identity. 
The day you trusted Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit gave you a new birth, you are no longer of this world. You are of God. You are a child of God. That's his brand. You follow where I'm coming from? That's his brand. Now let's go further. He said, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, second part of this brand. Watch this one. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You follow that? That's worth listening to again. Beloved, let us love one another. What's our brand? To love one another. How does the world know whether we're genuine or authentic? By our love for one another, right? By this shall all men know you're my disciples, by your love one for another. That's the brand. Where that's not existent, they're looking and say, wait a minute, is that the cheap thing I got? Was that the fake thing I got? What, what group did I get? What part is this? We have to show love for one another. That requires humility. To be able to love one another requires that you're going to have to look past some of the things that you don't like about people as they're looking past some of the things they don't like about you. And they're coming across with, now I'm going to love you for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go on with me further. Here's what he says. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us in that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See, once again, there's the first part of that brand. God's son was sent into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. We, we are genuine. We're authentic. All right. He goes on. <clears throat> and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So if you're loving your brother, if you're loving one another, you can know that you have his spirit, right? That is the brand. That's the quality product. That's the genuine product because you have trusted the person and the work of Christ and he's come now to live in you. He abides in you. That is how it works. So we're supposed to take that abiding that's in us and use it, loving one another. Going on. And we have seen and testified the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop there because it's, it's getting long to read this. I just want to come down to this last part, uh, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Uh, that's that's kind of what you call right in your face right? If you say, I love God, but I hate my brother, he says, you're a liar. It's not just, you need to think your way through that. That might not be the right thing to say. No, it might not be the right thing to be. Okay. So that's what we mean by the, the brand. What is the goal of this brand? I want to make sure everybody understands this. The goal of this brand is to create a new people who will live God in live with God in a new heavens and a new earth. 
It is not to create a spiritual people who will go to a spiritual heaven and be there in floating around on clouds or whatever else. That's not true, kids. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead in order that you would be raised from the dead. He is giving you a physical body. You are going to be on a physical earth that he has recreated. You are going to live there, kids. You are living in that place where you'll be able to communicate physically with people who are physically resurrected like you are. Everybody understand that? That's what it's about. So, uh, well, more about that later. Here we go. He's going to create that new people for a new world, but how does he do it? Let's go back now to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. John has come, as we've been looking here. Mark has introduced us to John. And, and John's not exactly the most appealing sort of fella. Um, he's out in the wilderness. He's not in sweet, soft places. He's not in an office someplace. He is in the wilderness someplace, and he's eating honey and locusts. He's dressed in camel hair. That's not exactly the, the uh, most ideal. If, uh, honestly, if, if your daughter brings him home, I'm, I'm just wondering, you're going to say, yeah. Ideal. This is the right guy. Or you'd say, what are you thinking? And toss the bum out on this. Well, anyway. Anyway. John came creating the Messianic community. What's he saying? Mark chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John is creating the Messianic community. He's telling people to repent of what you've been doing, repent of what you've been trusting, fully trust in who, Jesus, who the Messiah is going to be. They don't know who he is yet. He's telling them a Messiah is coming. I'm the forerunner. I'm telling you, prepare his ways. Get things straightened out. He is coming. The qualified one is going to be here soon. And I've been told I get to see him. I haven't seen him yet. At least I don't think I have. I'm waiting to see the sign that God told me would happen. Then I'll know that it's him. But I'm telling you, he's there. So believe in the Messiah. So all these people are coming. They're confessing their sins. They're confessing their unbelief. And they're joining the Messianic community. And the, the initiation in that Messianic community is baptism. I'm dying to what I was. I've gone into the Red Sea, and I've come back out again. Everybody follow where we're at? I've been delivered. That's what I am. I'm into this whole new community. So John's there to create the, the Messianic community. They repent, they believe, and they're baptized. They enter and identify, and they act on what you know and trust. That's what John is telling them to do. John, was, he gave specific things as people ask him questions about how should we live a repentant life, how should we live a believing life, and John tells them how to do those things. John's building a community of Messianic believers, all right? They're waiting for Messiah. Then it comes to this. There is the recognition of that Messiah. So how do you know if the uh, product is a good product? 
Does God agree with that product? Does, does, does anybody have a way of affirming what that product is, what that person is? So recognize the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here in Mark chapter 1 again, verse 1, he said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the writer, Mark, is wanting to know, he's going to tell us why Jesus is Christ, why he's the Son of God, and why that's important. He's going to tell us why you can trust this brand, why you can trust this one. He is qualified to be the Messiah. How do I recognize this? Well, first of all, it was recognized by the birth of John. John was uh, John's father and mother. Well, I'll say father first. The father was told that you are going to, your, your wife is going to have a son, and that son's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Messiah's on the way. But the forerunner has to come first. He's going to be there. So as soon as John is born, already Zacharias, his father, is making a prophecy. Half of it's about John and what John's going to do as the forerunner. And the other half is about who the Messiah is. That Messiah is coming. The Messiah is, is on his way. And the Messiah is there. So by John's birth, there was a recognition that Jesus is the Messiah. It was the recognition by Jesus' own birth. By Jesus' own birth. Not only does Mary know that's what's going to happen, but God reveals to Joseph that he is the Messiah that's coming. And through the angels reveals to the shepherds that he is the Messiah that's coming. And through the shepherds, they make it known to everybody else in the area. People are recognizing Messiah has been born, and the shepherds know where he's been born. They've seen him. They recognize the Messiah because the angels told him that. It went from there into the, uh, the public announcement by the, uh, the, the shepherds. It went from there to two elderly prophets who had been told you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And both of them, a man and a woman, both saw Jesus. And I recognized him as the Messiah while he was just eight days old. There was that recognition. There's the recognition by John in public. John is the one who's going to finally say, there he goes. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There he is. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John's going to recognize him because the recognition of his, uh, by the Father and the Holy Spirit. As John has him coming in the water, John stopped and said, wait a minute. Let's reverse this. You baptize me instead of me baptizing you. He said, no, uh, you baptize me. I'm a part of this kingdom. I'm identifying with this Messianic community. I am a part of this. I'm not separate from it. I'm not going to save somebody that I'm not a part of. I'm saving the people I am a part of. I am, I am flesh and blood. I am what they need to be. And as, as he's being baptized, the Father's recognizing and speaking. The dove of the Holy Spirit is resting on Jesus, recognizing Jesus as Messiah. The Father's recognizing Messiah. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And everybody there that day heard that happen. There was that recognition, okay? So he's being recognized as qualified. And tell you further, he was recognized so by his enemy, by Satan. Satan recognized him as Messiah. Why is he testing some lonely Jewish boy out in the wilderness? Because of who he is. He's recognizing this is the one. I know who this is. This is the Son of God. I need to test him. 
I need to get him. If I can get him to slip up, if I can get him to worship me, if I can get him to do something independently of God, I know the whole thing's blown apart. And so he did just exactly that. But he recognized Jesus as Messiah. Then Messiah was identifying with the new people of the Messianic community. He's coming for a specific people. He's coming for a purpose. He's coming to die for them. He's coming to be raised for them. He's coming to bring them into that Messianic community, give them eternal life, and take them into the kingdom with him, a kingdom that his father has promised him, a future kingdom. And they're all going into that kingdom with him. He's going to identify with them. How did he do it? Number one, he was born in Israeli. He was born in the line of David. So in other words, he is part of the whole uh, Abrahamic family. And that he has to be to be Messiah. Because God had promised Abraham that he would bless all the nations through Abraham's seed. And Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He's born Israeli. David had been promised that the kingdom would be his forever through his seed. And that is why Jesus has to be the son of David. David, or I'm, uh, Jesus is fully human and fully God. Messiah had to be of the children of Abraham under the law of the family of David. He identified with that group. So he is, uh, he is uh, um, genetically a part of that whole group. Let me go on further. He had a delivery from Egypt. You say, wow, what difference that? Remember, Israel had gone to Egypt. And in Egypt, they were in slavery and in bondage. When they left, they were leaving Egypt to be, get away from that slavery and bondage and to go to a promised land. If Jesus is going to identify with the Abrahamic people, he's going to have to redo the things that they did and succeed at where they failed. So coming out of Egypt, they failed by having to live in the wilderness another 40 years until they got a second attempt at it. Jesus is delivered out of Egypt with complete success. So when he comes back, he comes back to be Messiah. He didn't change. He didn't do anything. He's coming back to be the Messiah. He was delivered out of Egypt, just like Israel had been. Further, he was raised in the Mosaic community under the law. Jesus came up under the law. He understood the law. He understood what it was all about. He understood the scriptures. He was taught in synagogue just like every other boy. He wasn't doing something different. Some may think that Jesus just had an automatic memory, and he just brought up all the things that he had written. No, because he humbled himself, that's not what happened. He had to learn just like the rest. Now, the difference is he's learning with complete faith. And when his faith, his perfect faith is going, he knows that what he's reading is about himself. He's understanding more and more, this is me. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's why he would say to his um, friends when he got back to the synagogue in Nazareth that as he's reading about what's going to happen with this one called Messiah, he says to them, this day you've heard this scripture fulfilled. It's about me. Wow. Wow. That's a big thing. He was raised in a Mosaic community. He was raised under that law, so he knows that law. He knows those prophecies. He knows those people. He's identified with them. Going further, he then was baptized in the Messianic community to be a living member of them by the appointed voice. 
Father is telling you that this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Uh, John is recognizing who he is. John is telling us that he's the son of God. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was baptized in that community, just like all the other members were. Further, he was tested in the wilderness to pass the test that Israel had failed. That's identifying with him. Why is he doing that? It's not for his sake. He knows he's the Son of God. It's, it's not even for Satan's sake. Satan knows who he is. Satan is concerned about him being here, for he knows he's the inheritor of all the kingdoms. He's the one who's going to inherit the whole earth. He knows who Jesus is. That's why he's going to offer Jesus the kingdoms that he now operates without Jesus having to die. All you have to do is worship me, he's saying. Jesus passes the test. He didn't go through that. He didn't let that be a temptation to him at all. I can say this. His life is already being a substitute for his community, and he will be given to them upon his resurrection. Now, here's the deal. He is already acting out all of Israel's past with his own life. Everybody with me on that? That's what he's doing. He's living out Israel's failed past with his successful past. He is living it out for them so that God can justly say, my son Israel passed my test. So that in behalf of all those who failed, who will simply believe in him, they get his success. They get him. He is giving them his life. Matter of fact, it's his life in them that makes them new. You can't be a part of the new creation without having the life of Jesus in you. Romans 8 teaches us that if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of his. You have to have the Spirit of Christ in you. You have to be born again. And that's a process that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something you're going to be able to work up. It's not something you're going to be able to earn. It's something that comes to you as a gift of faith by God's love and by God's grace, not by anything we've done. He is looking for a people to give to his son, and those people are going to be inhabited by his spirit. They have to be or they're not a new people. So if you would, go with me to this, the next second page. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1. And let's pick up with verse 14. Verse 14 of Mark 1 says, Now after John was put in prison. Let's stop just a minute and consider that. John had a ministry going and it was really quite popular. He had a, a lot of good things going on, and people were following the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw last week in John chapter 3, John knew that his ministry was going to decline once the Messiah was known. Why? Because it's not about John. It's about the Messiah. And you can't have two, com, com, uh, two competitors there. John's not competing with the Lord Jesus Christ for some kind of pseudo-popularity. John knows that I have to step out of the way to let Messiah grow. Messiah has to be seen. That's who they have to be seeing. They can't be looking at me. John's ultimately arrested to be taken out of the way. Now, he's not a player at all. 
He's in prison. And once Jesus had known that John was in prison, he goes on to say this. He came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's was Jesus' way of creating that new people. It's a way that happened to you. Someone told you the gospel kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Somebody told you the good news of Jesus, and that convicted you, and by the Holy Spirit, you were born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that same thing. So if I can say this, Jesus creates a new people by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus has come proclaiming the word of God. That, that gospel of the kingdom of God is about the love and the grace of God. Look, he'd already been through all of this time here. Matter of fact, when he set up, I'm just going back here. This is Moses, Mount Sinai. This is the people of Israel gathered up there. And God has been thundering on the mountain. There's flame on the mountain. There's Marshall Tucker, fire on the mountain. There, there's, there's all kinds of stuff happening there, and the people are scared. They don't want that, that shocking relationship going on there. They're willing to let Moses go and have that relationship. Moses is on the mountain with God. He's having a great time. Matter of fact, he's willing to say, is there, is there more? Can I see more of you? I know that I, I'm excited about what I've seen already. Can I see more of you? Can you show me what you're like? No, I can let you see my glory, but I can't let you see me. You'll die. Okay. While he's doing that, down here the people are saying, we don't know whether Moses is alive, we don't know what's going on with him anymore, so let's just have our own little idolatry. So they have their own little idolatry party. Moses comes down, breaks the covenant, and they have to have the whole thing redone. Point is this. When it's all redone and he shows them what the covenant is, they say to him, sounds good. You go talk to him again. Tell him we'll do anything you want, and uh, we'll just do anything. So just have him stop the loud talk. Stop shaking the mountain. Stop being on fire. Stop giving all that. It scares us. We're frightened. Just tell him, what do you want? We'll do it. God said, I wish they had that kind of heart. They don't. They cannot keep their word, so I'm going to add to the covenant a few more things. So he adds another 513 things. This is what I mean by the covenant, okay? And they've already said, we'll do anything you say. Don't worry about it. And they couldn't keep them. Even from day one, they couldn't keep them. It was too much. They, they didn't have a heart to do it. God had already worked with all these people. He, knews, he knows what's in them. Matter of fact, Jesus even makes a statement at one point that he didn't commit himself to any people because he knew what was in people. And they don't have that. They're fickle. Today they're with you. Tomorrow they're not. They don't have a way to remain faithful. God's had a history with these people. He knows what it's all about. So he knows they can't possibly do what they need to do. They can't do what they say they're going to do. So out of his love and out of his grace, I'm going to say, first of all, love for his son. Why? He wants his son to have a people. He wants his son to have this people. So he's got to do something to this people who don't know enough to know they want him. And he's got to change them some way. So out of love for his son 
out of love for the people he's going to give to his son, he brings them a gospel of grace. Trust me. That's what I'm requiring of you. I'm not asking you to come out here and say, we'll do anything you say. Stop. I don't want to hear your words. Just don't say them. I want you to simply trust my son. And out of that grace, I'm going to give to you more than you ever imagined. I'm going to give you more than a promised land. I'm going to show you a land that has full fruitfulness all the time. I'm going to show you a place in which I live. I want you to live in that place with me. This is what I'm giving to my son. I want you to have this one. It will have renewed farms. It will have renewed animals. It will have renewed everything. I want you to have that. And that's his grace that's extended to us. It's not dependent upon our works and the things that we do. It's dependent upon simply trusting his son. And he's giving us things we can't even imagine. That gospel came as the truth about God. He was telling people through this gospel what God is really like. He's showing them what God is really like. And through this message to create new people, he's calling them to follow him as the Messiah. He's not forcing anything. He has no dagger. He has no sword. He has no weapons. He's not forcing people. He doesn't raise a hand and say, thousands of angels, go down and tell those people they have to trust me. Baptize them all. Nope. He's calling on them to trust him. He's waiting to see, did my father speak to your heart? Did my father break your heart? Did my father grant you faith? Did my father show you who I am? And they're going to trust Jesus Christ. It's the right time. Listen to what he says here. Mark chapter 1, uh, <clears throat> verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled. It's the right time. God's prophecies of Messiah and the new covenant are fulfilled. They are ready for presentation. The condition of the people was such that this was seen as essential. Back here with Daniel, he had made a, a pronouncement about when Messiah was going to come. It had to be 490, let's see, 483 years. It had to be 483 years from the time that the, was the decree to uh, rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of Messiah, 483 years. The time was right. Those 483 years were up. It is time for him now to be trusting, to be sent as the Messiah. He is sent. The time was right. The prophecies were fulfilled, and the condition of the people were looking for someone. He, he had the people into a, a position where they're under Romans. They had been under the Babylonians. They had been under the Greeks. They had been under the Romans. They had been under the Persians. They had been under all kinds of people. They had not be a, been a free people for about 400 years. And he's bringing to them freedom. Oh, not political freedom. This is going to be something far greater than political freedom. You'd be able to be free even when you were in an oppressive kingdom. You'd be free when you're behind the Iron Curtain. You could be free when you were a prisoner in, in, in the worst of jails if you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The time was right, and he brought him that, at that time. The kingdom of God was near, he says. Listen to what he goes on to say there. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God was near. It's as close as the king himself in their presence. It was a prayer of faith away. They were looking at the kingdom of God because they were looking at the king. Now listen, 
When you stand outside of time, let me just take you where God the Father is. All right, right here is time. There's the timeline that runs all the way from the beginning up to the, the kingdom itself. God stands outside of time. And as God is standing outside of time, he gets to see the beginning and the end at the same time. What's more, he's orchestrating the beginning and the end at the same time. You follow me? So when Jesus is coming, he's not just seeing, oh, this is 1 A.D. Oh, this is 4 A.D. No, he's seeing the kingdom. He's outside of time. He's already seeing the kingdom. So Jesus could speak, and as he's speaking, say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because he is the kingdom. So as he's speaking, he's speaking as if the whole thing was already done. That's the benefit of being out of time. I guess I'm getting close to out of time. Let's take a look here. He goes on to say, <clears throat> if you trust Jesus Christ, you're in the kingdom. If you trust Jesus Christ, you're in the kingdom. I know the big argument about is the kingdom here and now, or is the kingdom later? Yes, the kingdom is here and now, and yes, it is later. Because Jesus is timeless. He's not involved in time. He is involved in being in the kingdom. So he's offering the kingdom right there, the full thing. Let me go further with him. The kingdom of God is the restoration of the order of creation that had been disrupted by transgression and rebellion. So he's bringing the whole thing back the way it was supposed to be. Number two, it's the rejoining of heaven and earth under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the ending of death and rebellion brought on by willful separation of man and heavenly beings from God. There were two rebellions went on, kids, not just the one. There were two rebellions went on. One is the human one, the one that we speak most often about. But the other was the rebellion that went on in heaven. Do you have heaven in having a rebel in there? And you have earth having rebels there. God is bringing both of those kingdoms back together as they were supposed to be through Jesus Christ. He is the God, that's the heaven side, man, the earth side, that brings together both those kingdoms. He is bringing the kingdom of God then, bringing earth and heaven back together again in one significant thing under one ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the new heavens and the new earth as God created them in the beginning to be lived in by a newly created people in perfect fellowship forever with God. That's what, his, that's what this is. His message is all of that. Furthermore, number four, it is the reunion of God and man in relationship and fellowship that is identical to that shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a significant truth. If that, if that didn't hit you yet, let it strike you. It is the reunion of man and God together in a union that is identical to that of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How do I know that? That's exactly what Jesus prayed for. Father, let them be one in me as I am in you and you are in me and they are in. He's having it be an identical relationship, guys. It's a union with Christ. This is not, again, a, a religious organization. This is not about people signing up for some denomination. This is about being born again and in a living union with the living God. 
You are a new person. And the, when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, that's what he's telling you. I'm about to make you a new people that's going to inhabit a new heavens and a new earth. I am that king. You trust me and you have that kingdom. To join this community requires a complete change of mind delivered by the persuasion of God in a surrendered, humble hearer, trusting Jesus as Messiah and that his work is sufficient to save. How do I get all that? Here's what it says. Verse 15, the time is fulfilled, so it's the right time. The kingdom of God is at hand, so the kingdom is here. How do I take care of that? Repent and believe in the gospel. What is repent? Repent is a complete change of mind. And that is delivered to us by the word of God. That's how you change your mind. You're listening. You're, you're, you're broken. You're humbled. And you're hearing what God's word has to say. And that message is by persuasion, that God is persuading you. Um, Holy Spirit is called convicting you. That, that convincing is the way that you would look at that. The Holy Spirit is convincing you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The Holy Spirit is convincing you that Jesus is that Savior. The Holy Spirit's convincing you that you need that. And the Holy Spirit is granting to you faith, granting to you repentance, granting to you a change of mind. That's his persuasion. That's what the gospel is. And as you're going through that, you are trusting Jesus as that Messiah, and you're trusting that his work is sufficient. You're not saying, what do, I, what do I need to add to it? What do I need to do to be saved? You're simply saying, as a humbled person, do with me what you wish. Show me. He's not asking you to do anything. Doing things is what's going to get in your way. You're going to believe somehow that you saved yourself if you have to do something. And you can't save yourself. You have neither the capacity nor the desire. It's his world. And it's his salvation that he's given. You can't have it any other way. That's his work. And that's how you get to be in that community. But it is a community. It is a community of people who are believing that Jesus is the Christ, and he's recreating them. He's making them new people to inhabit the new kingdom that's on its way. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way you're working in us, the way you continue to do it. We recognize this work is all yours. It's not ours. We're not asking you to do something for us. We, we're, we're knowing that we need you, period, and that you're the only one who can do anything for us. Thank you that you've made us your creation, and through your creation, by your love and by your grace, you are saving people. Thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know what your condition is this morning. don't know anything about you, but I hope that today you're trusting Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. He is God's Son. There won't be another plan. This is the plan. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ fully and completely today. Stop trusting in any part of yourself for salvation or for what follows salvation. All right? God bless you. Listen, you have the Word of God, you have the Spirit of God, you have the Son of God, you've got everything that you need. This be, notice this, 
Keep an eye on prophecy. Keep an eye on the Word of God. Keep an eye on what's happening in Israel because they are deeply, deeply connected right now. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, it depends on who joins this battle, what part of prophecy we're in. There are very serious things going on, kids, but know this. In the last days, Israel's going to be the number one focus. The Middle East is going to be the big focus. That's what he's declared. And that's going to be that way all the way through the end of the tribulation and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that finally brings it all to a close. But you might as well know and understand there could be some very, very tough times before all that takes place. We need to be a people who are praying diligently, who are loving one another and being together as often as we can, sharing with each other, sharing food together, sharing meals together, sharing laughter together, sharing life together. We need each other. We're especially going to need each other as times get tighter. All right? So let's keep, let's keep our eye on that. Let's be that kind of people, all right? People who understand the times. Let's look the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the truth of the gospel and what you're doing in it. We ask your blessing to rest upon this great congregation, this great family, Father. I ask you to bless them this week with the fullness of thanksgiving. They might be filled with your grace and with your peace. And that, Father, we might walk from here with our mouths full of rejoicing and full of praise for the fact that there is a bitter sweetness to the gospel. We're looking forward to the sweetness of it all, Father. We recognize there'll be some bitter that goes with it. We recognize, too, that you have already gone through this. You have already won this tribulation for us. You've already run the trouble, and you've given us your peace. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.